Let's take our Bibles now and turn to 2 Kings chapter 4. You say, you don't have a special Thanksgiving message? This is the Thanksgiving message. As I was looking at the life of Elisha, I noticed uh, what we're coming to now is, uh, especially in this first miracle of Elisha uh, in chapter 4, the providential supplying of a need that uh, we have much to be thankful for. And the title of the message today is The Providential Supply of God. In this chapter, we have a wonderful demonstration of, of God's care and of God's omnipotence to meet needs. We'll see two miracles that are similar to the ones that we read about in the life of Elijah. Both Elijah and Elisha saw miraculous provision in poverty, and both saw God raise a child from the dead. For Elijah, it was the widow of Zarephath who was running out of meal and oil, and God miraculously supplied. And then her son died, and God brought him back to life. Now in Elisha chapter, uh, or 2 Kings 4, within the life of Elisha, God provides oil for a widow and her sons in an unusual and miraculous way. He multiplies what little oil that she has so that she can pay off her bills and keep her sons from slavery. And then verses 8, to 8 through 17, God gives a son to a couple who are beyond the age of having children. And then from verses 18 through 37, God restores that son from death to life. These, are, these accounts are woven together in a beautiful tapestry that show us how God sustains life through the miracle of the oil provision, how he gives life, the child born, and how he can restore life, the child's life brought back into him. And in these miracles, we'll recognize that God is in con total control of all of our lives, and we can learn to depend on the providential supply of a gracious God. There are many passages of Scripture that show God being the source, the creator, the sustainer of life. God gave life to man at creation. Genesis 2-7, God breathed into, uh, formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Paul told the men of Athens in Acts 17, 28, for in him we live and move and have our being. Jesus in Acts 3, 15 is called the prince of life. Jesus promises eternal life to those who trust in him. John 10, 28, and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall any pluck them out of my hand. So our first point today in verses, four, uh, verses 1 through 7 of 2 Kings 4, God sustains life through his kind provision. God sustains life through his kind provision. In this passage, God provides for this widow who is in great need. Let's read verse 1 and see the woman's circumstances. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead, and thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. And the creditor is come to take away, or take unto him my sons to be bondmen. This certain woman was the wife of a man who was in the school of the prophets. Uh, we learned already about those schools in, back in 2 Kings chapter 2. Uh, they were the sons of the prophets of Bethel that told Elisha that his master, Elijah, was going to be taken away from him that very day. 
And then in chapter 2 and verse 5, the sons of the prophets in Jericho said the same thing to him. In chapter 4, at the end of the chapter, verse 38, we'll read about another school of the prophets in Gilgal. So in three different locations, Bethel, Jericho, and Gilgal, these, these prophets were meeting and being taught about uh, serving God. Some lessons are obvious to me in this account. First of all, those who are studying to serve God are not in it for the money. And this family was learning to depend on God for the very basics of life. Also, at least some of the men who were training to be God's prophets were married. The Bible never stipulates that God's servants are to be single all their lives. Third, this man was a servant. The wife, who's now a widow, refers to her husband first as Elisha's servant and then as her husband. Did you notice that? Thy servant my husband is dead. Service to God always comes first. In verse 1, he's called thy servant twice. Also, a lesson here is death is not limited to those who just reach a certain age. This man feared God. God often takes his choicest servants home sooner than, than we would want. But in God's omniscience, he always does what's best. Very difficult lessons. Notice also she cried. Cried is the, is the first word in the Hebrew in verse 1. It's how her story in the text of Scripture begins, this cry. It's not weeping inside herself or to herself or feeling miserable. This was a vocal cry. The word means to proclaim, to call, or even to shriek. There's an adverb later in the verse, saying. She cried, saying. There was a reason. She wanted her cry to be heard so that Elisha would know about her need, her circumstances. Her husband was dead. He left a legacy. His testimony is here in Scripture that he feared the Lord, and it was well known. She said to Elisha, thou knowest. He also left a debt. And she was going to lose her sons to the bondman, to the creditor. Notice it says, is come. He has already showed up, and he's requiring that they be indentured slaves. It was common in the ancient Near East that children who could work were indentured as slaves if a debt could not be paid. If they were going by the laws of Israel, that uh, slavery would last seven years, and then they would be set free. Here's another great lesson. Just because you don't have a lot of this world's earthly goods does not mean that you do not have the blessings of God. It's far better to live with nothing and have a testimony that you fear God than to have great wealth and leave God out of your lives. We come to verses 2 and 4 and we see the prophet's instructions. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me. What hast thou in the house? And she said, Thine handmaid hath nothing in the house save a pot of oil. Don't you feel like that sometimes? The cupboard is bare. Then he said, Go borrow thee vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels. Now, the word even there, you'll notice, is in italics. She didn't borrow any of the vessels that had anything in them, as some would try to explain away this miracle. It says, Go borrow these vessels Specifically, 
empty vessels, and then borrow not a few. Verse 4, and when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shalt pour out all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full, or thou shalt pour into all those vessels. Elisha started with what she had. He asked her the question, what do you have in your house? He asked her so that she would be used as, uh, in this miracle as part of the solution. And God, again, incorporates our efforts by his grace so that we can see his great power. She responded, I, I, I have just have this vessel, this pot of oil. And God will often ask you to give what you have so that he can multiply it. So many references in scripture of God using what's in a person's hand. Moses, what's that in your hand? Oh, it's just a staff. Throw it down. It became a snake. Swallowed up the Pharaoh's magicians, sorcerers, snakes. Led the children of Israel through the wilderness. Just a staff, but it was in his hand. Samson, what's that in your hand? Oh, it's the jawbone of a donkey. I'm going to use that today to help you. This is a weapon that you're going to slay a thousand of God's enemies, the Philistines. David, what was that in your hand? Oh, we all know that was just a slingshot. But God used it powerfully to slay Goliath. We know about the little boy among thousands of people who brought a lunch in his hand. Just five loaves, just two fish. But God multiplied it and fed multitudes. Give what little you have to God. And let him miraculously show you what he can do with it. He told her to borrow from her neighbors. Her faith was rewarded in proportion to the number of the vessels that she borrowed. Borrow not a few. It was in Matthew 9 when Jesus asked the two blind men if, if they believed that he was able to give them sight. And they said, yea, Lord. And he said, according to your faith, be it unto you. Don't you feel that way sometimes in your life? <laughs> oh, if I only had more faith. According to your faith, be it unto you. Go gather not a few of these empty vessels. The woman's obedience is seen in verse 5. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured out. The door was shut. This miracle was not for anyone else to see. Now, some miracles were to be public. Elijah on Mount Carmel. All of Israel was there. The prophets of Baal were there. They, he wanted that to be seen. But here, this was not for show. The sons were involved. Notice they were the ones who brought the vessels to her. What a wonderful thing. It's great to let your children be involved in the blessings of God. They knew the need in the household. This miracle was for the benefit of her little family. I'd imagine later that she probably told the neighbors what God had done. I'm sure they were knocking on the door. You know that pot that you borrowed from me several weeks ago? <laughs> Can I have that back? Well, wait till I get it emptied, and then I'll give it back to you. I'll get it cleaned. I doubt if she or her two sons ever forgot the lesson about this miraculous supply of a loving and caring God. Notice in verses 6 and 7, the Lord's provision it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There is not yet a vessel, there is not a vessel more. 
and the oil stayed. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay thy debt, and live thou and thy children of the rest. When God supplies, it's always enough. They ran out of vessels before they ran out of God's provisions. It was enough to pay off her debt. That means that her sons didn't have to be sold into slavery. What an answer. What a blessing from God. It was enough for her and her children to live on. God sustains life through his kind provisions. Secondly, God gives life in his gracious plan, verses 8 through 17. Here God is showing this, uh, this couple that he's able to, to give life out of barrenness, to have children. The woman showed hospitality to Elisha, verses 8 through 10, and it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as often as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. And she said unto her husband, Behold, now I perceive that this is an holy man of God, which passeth by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall. And let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick. And it shall be when he cometh to us, he shall turn in thither. The wording here that says she was great means that she had great wealth. We just saw the material provision is not a proof of the indication of God's punishment. Neither is God's approval on a person's life proved by the amount of material possessions that they have. We don't measure God's blessings by material things. Jesus said in Luke 12, 15, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. What a great lesson on a Thanksgiving week. We don't number the blessings that God has given us by the, the numbers in a bank account. God's blessings are so much greater. She told Elisha to stop in and have something to eat whenever he passed through. Shunem is in the Valley of Jezreel. It was also called Megiddo, the Valley of Megiddo. It was on Elisha's route to Mount Carmel. She recognized him as a man of God. She said, I perceive that this is an holy man of God which passeth by us continually. I got to thinking about that and wondering, do people see you that in the, just the normal course of your life, do they see that you're a person of God, that you're godly, that you know him, that you walk with him? This is a recognizable character trait of Elisha. Notice also that she and her husband built this room for him. She furnished it with the same things that you would find in a, in a place where an Airbnb or a motel should have. If not, you'd go to the front desk. Hey, I don't have any lights in my room. Okay? The, the candlestick was, a, was an oil lamp. But she furnished it with those, those things that he needed. And if you're providing for missionaries or for an evangelist to stay, here's a great checklist for some of the things that they might need in their room. A bed, place to, to rest or to sleep. A table, place to eat or to study. A stool where he could sit and rest. And a candlestick or this lamp that uh, would light the, the darkness. 
She thought of everything that he might need. Some churches have what they call prophet's chambers, and it's taken from this very text. She and her husband provided for this man who walked through that pathway. She, she was asked what, she could, what, what, could be done in, what could be done in return for her kindness. We see that in verses 11 through 13. And it fell on a day that he came thither and turned into the chamber and lay there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him and he said unto him, and she, he said unto him, say now unto her, behold, thou hast been careful for us, or that is full of care for us, with all of this care, what is to be done for thee? Wouldst thou be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the hosts? And she answered, I dwell among my own people. Elisha, through Gehazi, asked her what she would like. The suggestion was made for maybe a good word said to the king or some military leader. And her answer, I dwell among my own people, means I keep to myself. I'm content not to have any notoriety for building this room and providing hospitality. Now, some people think that she um, could have been that she didn't want anybody prying into her life. You know, nosy people are like that. I think probably it's, it's a sign of her humility. I keep to myself. Gehazi noted that she had no children, and her husband was old. In verse 14, he didn't say this to her, but he said it to Elisha. And he said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, verily, she hath no child, and her husband is old. And Elisha prophesied that she would have a son within a year. In verses 15 through 17, he said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood at the door, or in the door, and he said, about this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. And she said, nay, my Lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thine handmaid. And the woman conceived and bare a son at that season that Elisha had said unto her, according to the time of life. Her response showed her that this was exactly what she would desire if she could have anything. And that's why she says, don't lie to me. Every woman in Israel wanted to have a son. They were looking forward to a Messiah. And God gave her a son, just as Elisha had said. So not only does God sustain life by his gracious, kind provision, God gives life in his gracious plan. But third, we'll see God restores life by his mighty power. Verses 18 through 37. The child died and was resurrected, brought back to life. Let's read about the death in verses 18 through 24. And when the child was grown, it fell on a day that he went out to his father to the reapers. And he said unto his father, My head, my head. And he said to the lad, Carry him to his mother, or to a lad, carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. And she called unto her husband and said, Send me, I pray thee, one of the young men and one of the asses, that I may run to the man of God and come again. 
And he said, Wherefore wilt thou go to him today? It's neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, It shall be well. Then she saddled an ass and said to her servant, Drive and go forward, slack not thy riding for me, except I bid thee. In other words, drive as fast as you can. <laughs> it fell on a day, verse 18. There was just this certain day. Everything was normal in her life until that day. The events of one day can change the course of the rest of our lives. Many of you have had days like that. James tells us we don't know what shall be on the morrow. Our life is just a vapor. Proverbs 27.1 says, Boast not yourself, uh, thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. The boy, in most commentators, say that he probably suffered some kind of a stroke as he was in the field with his father. His mother took him and put him on the prophet's bed. And then she went to see the man of God who was at Mount Carmel. She didn't tell her husband that the child had died. Did you notice that? She just asked for a young man and a donkey to, to be able to get Elisha to come. And he asked her, seeing it wasn't any holy day, why she would be doing that. And she said, it shall be well. The word in the text here is shalom. Shalom, it is well. There's peace. Dillard writes, faith is continuing to believe in the promises and goodnesses of God. Faith is considering it's certain that God will be true to his word. It is knowing that he is able to do immeasurably more than we all can ask or imagine. Verse 23, it shall be well. Those words are repeated in her words to Gehazi in verse 26, it is well, same word, shalom. As we read those words, I can't help but think of the, of the hymn by Horatio Spafford, it is well with my soul. He penned those words after in Chicago he lost a son. And then he lost the great amount of real estate that he owned there in the Chicago fire. He sent his wife and four daughters to Great Britain to help his friend, D.L. Moody, and Ira Sankey in a campaign of evangelism. But he got word from his wife that the four daughters were lost when their ship was struck by another vessel and sank within 12 minutes. As Spafford went across the, the ocean and the pilot said, or the captain of the ship said, this is where the, the other ship went down. It said that he went back to his room and he penned those words of trust when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Here's a woman saying, it's going to be okay. It is well. Oh, that we would get to a place in our lives when we can say that no matter what takes place in a day, it's well. We read about her grief in verses 25 through 28. So she went and came unto the man of God to Mount Carmel, and it came to pass when the man of God saw her afar off that he said to Gehazi, his servant, Behold, yonder is that Shunammite. Run now, I pray thee, to meet her, and say unto her, 
Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? Using that same word, shalom, with you, with your husband, with the child. And she answered, it is well. And when she came to the man of God to the hill, she caught him by the feet. But Gehazi came near to thrust her away. And the man of God said, let her alone, for her soul is vexed within her. And the Lord hath hid it from me, and hath not told me. That is, he didn't know why. He didn't know what had transpired. Verse 28, then she said, did I desire a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? She didn't want to share the news with Gehazi. She told him the same thing that she told her husband. It is well. It's going to be okay. He tried to keep her from getting to Elisha. And Elisha allowed her because he said that her soul was vexed. The word vexed there is mara, bitter. In Exodus 15, The children of Israel came across a a body of water that they thought that they could drink from, but it was bitter. It was mara, they called it. Ruth in uh, uh, our Naomi in Ruth chapter 1 said, "I've, I've returned bitter. Call me bitter, mara. She didn't tell Elisha why she was there, and God hadn't revealed it to him yet. She said, did I desire a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? To deceive is to to mislead or to neglect. And all of her concern is coming back. She had dealt with this before, not having a child. And all of a sudden, this man of God says, in a year, by this time, you'll have a child. And she's saying now, "I, I told you, don't get my hopes up to dash them. This is what I was afraid of. Then we come to the miracle in verses 29 through the, uh, verse 37. And she said to Gehazi, or he said to Gehazi, Gird up thy loins and take my staff in thine hand and go thy way. If thou meet any man, salute him not. And if any salute thee, answer him not again. And lay my staff upon the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, As the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And he arose and followed her. And Gehazi passed on before them and laid the staff upon the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Wherefore he went again to meet him and told him, saying, The child is not awake. And when Elisha was coming to the house, behold, the child was dead and laid upon his bed. And he went in therefore and shut the door upon them twain, And prayed unto the Lord, and he went up and lay upon the child, and put his mouth upon the mouth, and the eyes upon his eyes, and his hands upon his hands. And he stretched himself upon the child, and the flesh of the child waxed warm. Then he returned, and walked in the house to and fro, and went up and stretched himself upon him. And the child sneezed seven times. And the child opened his eyes, and he called Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite. So he called her. And when she was come in unto him, he said, Take up thy son. Then she went in and fell at his feet and bowed herself to the ground and took up her son and went out. Gehazi went first with Elisha's rod, his staff, and also with the instructions that he was to lay that staff upon the child's face. He did exactly what he was instructed 
There was no voice nor hearing, no response. And Elisha prayed, and God answered. We're not reading a description here of mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, of some have thought. We're seeing a miraculous occasion, a miracle, where God brings a boy who is dead, as the scripture says, back to life. Why did he lay himself down on this child? Let me read what William MacDonald writes. The prophet identified with the problem. Too often men of God live isolated from the problems of others, not Elisha. Verse 32 at the end, and laid upon his bed, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. Elisha left, paced in the house, stretched himself on the boy again. The boy sneezed seven times, opened his eyes. His staff had not effected change. But when he put himself on the boy and breathed his own life into him, the lad came alive. I wonder sometimes if we just don't want to get involved in the lives of others. We're too busy. We don't think we can make any difference. May God give us this passion that Elisha had, this ability to show a compassion to identify with the problems. What a display in this chapter of the providential supply of an all-knowing, all-loving God. He's able to sustain life. God will reward through your obedience and faith everything that you need. Philippians 4.19 says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. David said he'd never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. God provides everything that we need. You say, I'm going without right now. Well, without is what we need right now. Learn to depend on him. God is able to sustain your life. He's able to provide life. Every day that you wake up and take a breath, God has a purpose for you. Will you do what he wants you to do for that day that he gives you? Don't live it for yourself. And God is able also to give a resurrection. You say, well, that doesn't happen very often nowadays. Well, it does every time a sinner repents and turns to Christ. He gives eternal life. Have you ever experienced that Miracle of new birth in your own heart. One day he'll raise all the bodies out of the grave, some to the resurrection of life, some to the resurrection of punishment. It was in John 11 when Lazarus died and Mary and Martha both said, If thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. And Jesus said something wonderful to Martha in verses 25 and 26. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall what? Shall never die. God is able to give a resurrected life to anyone who will turn, repent of sin, and trust Christ as his Savior today. That miracle of grace can be performed in your heart. New life, a resurrected life today, and it will last for eternity. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, wouldn't you come and trust him today?
Let's just pray and thank the Lord for his work among us today. Father in heaven, we're so grateful for your word. This is such, a, such an ancient book and yet so applicable to today, to our lives. Help us to spend more time in it, to know you in a greater way, to trust you in a, in a greater trust each day. And as we, as we go from this place, I pray that you'll be glorified in our lives. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.